Listen, so we're going to be diving into the life of Solomon. And, um, and Solomon, uh, it, what, it's just an incredible story of God's redemption, right? So it, begins first with, it begins first with David, David's shortcomings. And after David falls short, the Bible teaches us that he repented of his sins and God did a restorative work. You know why David was a man after God's heart? Because he knew how to repent. He knew how to ask for forgiveness. Any football, any football guys here? Anybody watch football? Anybody? All right, a couple, a couple. And it used to be this old football player for the Bucks. His name was John Allstott. I don't know if you remember John Allstott. Big guy. The commentator said something, and it blessed my heart. God spoke to me. He said, you know why John Allstott's so valuable? Because the man never falls backwards. He always falls forward. And there's no stop. And if you're tackling him, he's, you're going down with you. When the, when the man falls, he falls forward on the field. And God spoke to me. He said, that's how I want you to be. You're going to have shortcomings in life, but I want you to learn to fall forward into my arms. Learn to fall forward. Because if seven times the righteous fall, seven times the Lord picks him up. Right? Now, why would we fall if we're righteous? If we're righteous, we wouldn't fall. Well, our righteousness is not found in our works, but in our faith in Jesus Christ. Are you with me? So David learned how to fall forward. God did an amazing thing in the life of David and Bathsheba, who he committed his great sin with. And God gave them a wonderful son by the name of Solomon, who became the wisest king the earth has ever known, and, uh, and, and, and God, other than Jesus Christ himself. And so it, it's just incredible to hear that story. And Solomon introduced us to, a, a, how could I say, a pluralistic government. And I want to talk about Wednesday what it looks like to be a nation without God at the center. What happens to a nation that is blessed that doesn't have God at the center? So that's going to be the topic of discussion this Wednesday. And if you're able to be here with us Wednesday night, I'd love to talk to you about that in the life of Solomon and different lessons. But today, I want to look at one of the greatest moments in Solomon's life. And this is right after the dedication of the temple that he built for God and a declaration that God made over Solomon, right? And over the people of God. And before we dive into that, I I want to I wanna look at it from the perspective of praying and asking God to heal our land, for God to move in America. Do you still want God to move in America? Anybody? Yeah. Amen? Okay. So I want to talk to you about a word that many of us really love. That word is revival. Revival. Some of us hear that word and we get excited. Some of us hear revival and we say, yes, Lord. And so what I want to do is define that word because it's a Christian world, uh, uh, world word, right? It's a word that may not make much sense to us, but I want to define what revival is uh, so that we can be on the same page. Number one, revival is an awakening of people to their spiritual concerns. So revival is an awakening, right? An awakening spiritually to the things that really matter, right? An awakening that leads us to focus on God, to give Him priority over everything else. That is revival. Now, when I think of revival, I think of a people turning back to God and giving him the honor that he deserves by living a life that's well lived. In other words, when I think of revival, revival is a man turning away from sins, turning to God and living for God, right? A man and a woman sold out for God. That is revival. And we know that revival has occurred in someone's life by the fruit that happens in an individual's life. Right? 
Oftentimes when we talk about revival, we talk about revival as a, something that may happen in a region or in a city or in a nation, but revival can be individual too. When somebody gives their life to God and there's a turnaround and you see fruit, but uh, most of the time we talk about revival from a perspective of many people being affected by a move of God. So revival is recognized by the following fruit, repentance. Revival, they're When there's revival, when God is moving, when a man turns to God, when a woman turns to God, there's evidence of repentance, a recognition that I was wrong and I need to repent of my sins. There's healing, whether that be physical, emotional, or spiritual, right? Healing is much deeper than just physically, right? I love the fact that the man who wrote Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound That Saved the Wretch Like Me was blind, but now I see. A blind man wrote that. Isn't that incredible? But he wasn't really blind because he was healed. Are you with me? Restoration. When there's revival, there's restoration of marriages. Restoration of of good values, of godly values. Restoration of God in the home. There's transformation. When there's revival, someone's life is different. Many of you, uh, you know, when you got saved, it was evident. Do you remember when people would say, there's something different about you? Something different about your face. What is it, a new haircut? Is it a new, what you do with your beard, man? There's something different. It's the glory of God. Amen. There is justice and peace in our lives. And in a country or in a city, you also see that revival also brings prosperity, brings justice, it brings peace, and it brings advancement educationally. You look at America's history, I'm not making a case for that all of America's history is good, by the way. I just want to get it out of the way. But educationally, when you see how it was Christ-centered and you see how America had some incredible advancement, no one can deny the ingenuity that followed America in her beginnings. And even through the Great Depression, the ingenuity of America. But no one can deny the decline today. Can I get a witness? Right? And so we are asking and seeking for revival, but before we dive into that, I'd like to ask you a question. Are you desiring for revival to come to America? I want you to think of that question. I want you to, I, I know it, it's easy to say yes, but I want you to really think about it. Do you desire to see revival in America? Do you desire to see all these things that we've mentioned? to happen here in America. Let me ask you then this following question. How are you living your life? Right? How are you living revival today? How are you living revival today? I want you to think about that. Because if America experiences revival, it's because you and I live in experience walk-in revival. I want you to think about that today. We want revival, you know? Man, let it come to somebody else. But what are we doing today to welcome revival in our homes, in our children, in our schools, in our nation? How are you living revival today? Now, let's go back to that list. Are there evidences of God, of repentance, of healing, restoration, transformation, God's prosperity, justice, righteousness, peace in our lives. Are there evidences of that? 
Are we living revival today? Are we living a lifestyle that welcomes that from God today? I don't know about you, but I want revival in my life. And I want revival in my country. So what does the Bible say about revival? What needs to take place in order for us to really experience revival? 2 Chronicles chapter 7, 14-15 says, If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. Solomon dedicates this temple. It's an extravagant dedication where God gets the praise. And in the midst of the God is moving, he speaks to Solomon and he says this, If my people who are called by my name would humble them pr- themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. And here we are introduced, we are introduced to the promise of God, the promises of God and the way that he promises things. God's promises, the ifs, the thens, right? The conditional promises of God. If you do this, then I will do that. Do you see that in this scripture? So God calls us to action for what he promises. Do you see that? God calls us to action for what he promises. So what will it take for us to experience revival and for our nation to experience revival? We need to understand this first thing. Number one, it has to begin with us. It has to begin with us. Brother Joshua, it says, if my people who are called by my name. So what I'm saying is I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait for you to start doing it. And then once Joshua begins to be a walk in revival, then we just, we'll just strike the band and everybody play in harmony. No, it's not like that. It's as if my people who are called by my name. All right? So let's wait for Obama to start seeking God. Let's wait for the Congress. Let's, let's wait for a Republican Party or for a Democratic Party to seek the Lord. Then when they seek the Lord, then we can seek. Then God's going to bring healing. That's not what it says. Don't hold your breath for that to happen either. I, I, I don't, too many funerals. Right? Listen, if my people who are called by my name. The highest office in America is not the cabinet. The highest office in America is not the Supreme Court. The highest office in America is not the Congress. The highest office in America is the holy priesthood. That's who you are, a holy nation. Second Peter, I mean, First Peter chapter 2, verse... Verse 9, I believe, says that you are a holy nation called out by God. For what? That you would declare the excellencies of God. You're a holy priesthood. God has chosen me, chosen you and me to be a part of this holy nation within a nation to declare the glories of God. We are not ambassadors of America. We're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. Are you with me? And because we're ambassadors of the kingdom of God, God has chosen us to declare his word wherever we live. I don't want revival in America for the sake of America. I want revival in America for the sake of God's glory. Yeah, I love the people of America. They're my people. I want them to get saved, but I want God to get the glory. I don't want it so that we can just say, oh, those yesteryears, oh, those wonderful yesteryears, not for everybody. I want the glory of God to visit this place for his glory. Are you with me? I want revival. And if it comes, it's because you and I understand who we are. We are a chosen people, a holy nation, called out by God to declare the excellencies of God. 
You know, when you go to Jerusalem and when you go to Israel, anywhere you go, you notice that it's really surrounded by a lot of mountains. No matter where you look, you'll find mountainous terrain, and you'll find that there are cities that are lodged within the mountains, and you can hide them. They are protected because the mountains, they're on the other side of the other nations. But nonetheless, you can't hide those cities, and they were built in such a way that they were supposed to be looked at. And Jesus said to his disciples, you are a city set on a hill. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Therefore, let your light so shine before men that they would see your good works. You know your good works should draw people to Jesus? And glorify your Father which is in heaven. Laura's making a new shirt. It says, follow me, do exactly as I do. Watch me all the time. And we're going to give it to each and every one of you because I know that you want that kind of attention. I know it. I see it in your faces and in your smiles. No, nobody wants that. But that's God's intention for you. Do you know that? God wants you to be a city set on a hill so that when people see you, they're drawn to him. You are God's holy priesthood, not God's holy judges. What does the priest do? He forgives. He stands in the gap. He intercedes. A priest pours out mercy, grace, love, and doesn't grow tired of serving the people. Boy, when people look at your Christianity, what do they say? Well, I just, I just love this. I love Damon. That kid, every time I'm around, I just feel forgiveness, kindness, mercy. Man, man, I just, I just love Tony. Brother Tony, every time he just gives me this big old handshake, he's got this big old smile, man, it just makes me feel the joy of God. Is that what people are saying about you when they come around you? Is that your testimony? You know, that if someone were to ask someone, hey, tell me about, tell me about Sister Mary. What one word describes Mary? Mercy. Mercy. If I could use one word, it's mercy. You're a holy priesthood. Problem is the church is so busy judging the world that we're not extending grace. It's us that we're supposed to judge, Jack. You with me? Judgment begins with the house of the Lord. Don't expect the world to act like the church when the church doesn't act like the church. All right, now still love me. Are you with me? We are called to be his holy priesthood. When people see us, they should see a person that they can come to to get connected with God and find forgiveness. Isn't that an amazing thing to receive from God? This is your calling from God. This is what God desires for you. How is it that Christians have been pinned with, oh, they're judgmental, they're hypocritical? How have we lost who we are? If my people who are called by my name, do you know who you are? You are his people, and you're called by his name. Problem says, problem is, we say, we don't want people to look at us or look at our lives that way. The problem is, it's not about you. It's about the God who lives in you. And you're only going to learn about him if you know who he is, and you realize the power in his name. Are you with me? You're worthy, Brother Casey, because he makes you worthy. You're a brave heart. Because the lion lives in you. You belong to him because he has chosen you. 
Ain't no devil can take that from you. You got to walk in that reality, right? Remember a friend of mine, we were talking, this was before I was married. Obviously, I was in college, and he was realizing that I would only talk, okay, I would only talk to girls that were, in his perspective, lesser than, because I thought, you know, lesser of myself. And he just pulled me to the side, and he said, why are you doing that? I said, doing what? Every time I talk to you about relationships, you talk of yourself as this. It's like, well, what's wrong with that? It's like, you're not that, and I'm tired of it. You're greater than that. And you need to start seeing yourself as the Scripture sees you. Wow, I didn't even realize that. And even though he was talking to me about relationships, it was a pattern in my life. I accepted I was less than who I was. Praise God, I got the relationship part right. (laughs) She's hot. But listen, you need to start lifting up your eyes and realize that your value is not found in you. It's found in him. Why do you think David walked up to Goliath and said, who dares defy the army of the living God? Right? All of the army of Saul, they're cowarding before this Goliath, right? And David's like, I can't believe this, right? I can't believe. And he's actually excited. This is an opportunity. He says, what happens to the guy who beats that guy? Right? And he stands up and God gives him the victory. Why? Because David knew who his God was. Do you know who your God is? You know who your God says you are? You need to find that out. Get in your Bible. Start writing down the scripture to say you are who, who you are. Begin to read through those. Let your mind be cleansed by the word of God that you would walk and be who God called you to be. Amen? If my people who are called by my name, it begins, revival begins with the house of God. What, if my people who are called by my name, and then it moves forward. It moves forward to what? If we humble ourselves and seek his face. We have to humble ourselves. This means that we will allow him to lead our lives instead of being in control of our lives. This means that, again, we're not going to ask God to bless what we do, but rather we're going to do what God's called us to do. These, this means that instead of making judgment calls, we're going to trust God's wisdom and God's word in the direction of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Do you remember Peter in the Bible? Jesus began to tell Peter what was going to happen with his life and the things that he would suffer, and Peter didn't like it. Peter said, no way, Jesus. That will never happen to you. What did Jesus say? Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God. Right? Now, I want you to notice, Peter was sold out for Jesus. The man loved Jesus. I mean, it's evident in the walk and in the life of Peter that he really loved Jesus. He had some shortcomings, but he loved them. But I want you to notice what Jesus did. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. This is why I'm pointing this out. Christians with good intentions, right, still don't fulfill the will of God. Are you with me? Good intentions doesn't mean the will of God. You ever heard the saying, we don't need a good word, we don't need a great word, we need a God word. You ever heard that said? We don't need a good word or a great word. We don't need a good ministry. We don't need a great ministry. We need a ministry that God has given. Are you with me? So if we're going to be a people that experience revival, we got to humble ourselves and say, God, we're going to give things to you. What do you want to do? I don't even know how to give things to you. Can you teach me how to give things to you? I don't know how to raise children. God, I got an idea. I think they're great ideas, but I 
bet you don't think they're so great. So I'm going to give them to you. Would you teach me how to be a dad? Would you teach me how to be a husband? Would you teach me how to lead my home? Would you teach me how to give you my finances? Because I have no idea how to do that. I'm just living paycheck to paycheck. And I don't even know how to have faith to even give. God, would you teach me to give you my entertainment? I don't know how to entertain myself other than with darkness. And I know that this doesn't please you. I know that you're not sitting next to me uh, enjoying the things that put you on the cross. Would you come over my life and teach me? I humble myself. If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and seek my face. Seek my face. I don't think that that there's a lack of people seeking the blessing of God. There's a lack of people seeking the face of God. And it's totally different. Somebody once said, I think in the radio station, I heard it this week. Some people are busy seeking the presence, P-R-E-S-E-N-T-S, They're seeking the gifts, the presence of God, instead of seeking the presence, C-E, the presence of God. And that's a dangerous thing. It's dangerous to come to God only for what he gives. Let me tell you, God wants to give all these things that you need. Trust me. I'm a living witness that God has given me everything that I need and even more, even the things that I desired. I didn't even think he needed to give it to me, but he did, and he blessed me because he loved me. I can testify that. But I want you to know I want you to know something. God will never allow his gifts, right? He, will never, he never desires his gifts to be greater than the giver, than himself. Yes. Are you with me? Amen. We need to seek his presence, not just what he gives. Not just what he gives. And you know why it's dangerous to seek what God gives only? I'll tell you why it's dangerous. Because at one point or another in your walk, Jesus will offend you. If you seek God for what he gives, he's going to offend you, right? You know, we come to church and we receive so much. And as American, as an American, I have to admit, I'm a consumer. I, I, you know, I have a consumer mindset. And when I come into the kingdom of God, God changes that. He says, it's more blessed to give than to receive, right? And so he's changing me from the inside out. And I got to give that too. You know, it's not just about what I receive. It's not about what, just what the church gives to me. It's not about how just, it's just a blessing to me is how I'm a blessing to those that surround me, right? So as God's changing, as God's changing that reality about me, I got to learn not to seek him for what he gives. I got to seek him for his face. But Jesus will offend you if you seek him for just what he gives. The Bible says Jesus speaking to the people that he fed, the 5,000 that he fed. He said, look, the only reason you're following me is because you had bread and you're full. You were full and you liked it, and that's why you come back to me. And then Jesus said, but I'm the bread of life. Stop eating that bread. Eat this bread, right? And you will be satisfied. And people were offended. They were offended. Jesus said, seek the Son the son that the father has set his seal upon. In other words, he says, instead of seeking the, the blessings of the son, seek the son and you will be satisfied. Let me ask you a question. It's real easy to know if we're seeking his face or if we're seeking his blessings. Just look at your prayer life. What's your prayer life filled with? Are you saying, Lord, I just, I just want to hang out with you. What do you got to say? How do you want me to live my life today? I need to hear a word from you. I just want to get to know you more. Or is your prayer life more filled with, God, I really need that truck. I really need that. I really need this. And if you can do this, be grateful if you do that. It's a heart shift. 
And listen, you can ask the Father what you need. Ask the Father what you need. But recognize that the thing you really need is the presence of Jesus. Are you with me? If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves, seek my face, right? Seek my face. I want you to hear this next part here. My people who are called by my name will humble themselves and seek my face and then turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. Now I want, again, follow this progression. It's very important that first we set our minds to seek his face. Because there's no way that we can walk away from sin and sinful behavior without first hanging out with Jesus. Are you with me? I can try, but it ain't going to happen. If I'm, not gonna hang out with, if I'm not hanging out with Jesus, I'm not going to have the strength to live the life he wants me to live. That's why you find a lot of people saying things like, man, when I get my life together, I'll go to church and they never make it to church. Why? Because they can't get their lives together. It's the wrong order. First, hang out with Jesus. Then Jesus changes your life. Zacchaeus was at the tree and Jesus said, hey, I want to hang out with you, Zacchaeus. Let me come to your home. And he was like, yes, let's do this. And then his life was changed. You can't change because you don't have the power to change, but the Holy Spirit in you can change things in your life. Are you with me? So then the, so that the first thing is hang out with Jesus. Seek his face. Right? First, it is imperative to seek his face. If we seek his face, we will find the strength to overcome the sin that enslaves us. We cannot. And then know this. Then the Bible says, turn from our wicked ways. And following Jesus is a 180. It's a 180. It's a turning away from going in one direction and going in the next. And let's just do this as an exercise. Logically, if I'm going in this direction, there's no way I can go in that direction, right? I'm, I just, I don't want to be Captain Obvious here, but if I'm going in this direction, which means that if I'm following Jesus, I cannot allow myself to have secret sins. Which means that if I'm following Jesus, I can't have the attitude that says, oh, you know, everything in my life is in order. I can have this thing in disorder. Just can't be. Now, I want you to understand that's not shortcomings and that's not temptations. I deal with temptations every day in my life, some seasons tougher than others. It's what I do with the temptation that matters. And when I fall short, that I get up with an attitude that I don't want to return back to that sin. Are you with me? I'm not setting an allowance to sin. Why? Because if my people who are called by my name would seek my face, turn from their wicked ways. That's what God calls us to. Right? Recognize who we are in him. Recognize that he's more valuable than what he gives. Recognize that following him means letting go of the world. And what happens? What happens when we do these things? Revival happens. God listens to our prayers. God heals us, heals our land. He forgives us. He forgives us completely. And we gain the favor of God. That revival starts with us, not the government, not a politician, with us. Would you stand with me? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. 
you close your eyes with us and bow your heads with us if you feel the freedom to do so. Come, the altar workers can come up right now. Church, I want, to, I want you to hear it. You are responsible for revival in our city. And I want you to hear it. God wants to pour out revival. And he can do it, do you? He longs for it. Start seeing yourself as who you are in him. Start seeing yourself as who you are in him. Seek his face. Seek his face. You'll have the strength to turn away from sin. Let the favor and the healing of God in your life draw others to Jesus. Hallelujah. I don't want to be a, you can look at me at this time. I don't, I don't want to be a Christian ghetto. You know what I'm saying? I don't want the rock to be a Christian ghetto. And what I mean by that is a place of no life. Ghettos uh, are, when you look at the definition, it means that it's con a people contained, can't get out of that circumstance, that oppressive reality. The reality is church can very much be a ghetto. When we don't realize who we are, we become a spiritual ghetto. But when we realize who we are, we become the life of the city the salt of the earth. Man, it's time. Woman of God, it's time. Let's rise. Let's be revival. If you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, I realize that what's, what's keeping revival back is that I don't see myself as what the scripture says about me. I, I, I don't see myself as who I am according to scripture. And, and I, I, I don't see that. And would, you, would you pray for me today? Would you raise your hand right where you're at? Right where you're at. Since I make a commitment, you, I make a commitment to, to search the scriptures for my identity in Christ. The head and not the tail above and not beneath. A royal priesthood. Would you raise your hand? Right now, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your people. Break the chains that keep them from seeing themselves as who they really are. We pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring breakthrough right now. A lot of them haven't shared the gospel. They haven't opened their mouth about you because uh, they're afraid of being bad at samples. That's because they don't know who they are in you and what you're doing in them. God, use them this week that they will be a royal priesthood declaring the excellencies of your kingdom, God, and bring freedom to people's lives this week. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Maybe you're here and you're saying, that's, you know, Pastor, i got to admit it. My prayer life has been filled with seeking the things that God can give instead of seeking God. Today I'm going to go home and I'm just going to make up my mind and say, hey, Lord, I'm here for you. What do you have to say? What do you, you want to do? That's you. you're saying. You want your life to be about seeking the face of God. And not just what he has to give. Would you raise your hand right where you're at? You're saying, I'm shifting. I'm shifting my prayer focus, Pastor. I'm making a commitment to shift my prayer focus. In Jesus' name, thank you, God. 
Oh God, they're going to find that as they begin to pray and seek your face, you're going to put new desires in them. They're going to find how you've been speaking to them all along. Your presence is going to be so real in their lives and in their hearts. God, you're going to do a radical, radical deal. Father, I bless you today. I thank you, God. I thank you, Lord. I thank you. I thank you. Maybe you're here. There's, there's a turn from your wicked ways, the Bible says, and you recognize there's something today that God says, I want you to give this. Give this to me. This is, this is taking your focus away. You recognize even as we're preaching that, hey, you can't go in two directions, and there's a direction you need to let go of. That's you today. Would you raise your hand with us right where you're at? Just raise your hand. Hallelujah. Lord, in Jesus' name, we give you that. We don't want to go in that direction anymore. Holy Spirit, we pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would take over. That you would take over. That you would take over. We don't even know how to not sin. We don't even know how to not go in that direction, God. But we, you, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you're going to give us the strength to overcome this wickedness in Jesus' name. Because who the Son sets free is free indeed in Jesus' name. And Lord, I declare it right now in Jesus' name over your church. I thank you for freedom. Now, come, if you're here and you like prayer, would you come up? You're saying, I want to be a living revival. I want to be a living revival. Would you come up to the altar? We have altar workers here. We love to pray with you. Amen. We love to pray with you. God bless you. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Remember that you're a holy nation. You're a holy nation. The greatest office on earth. An ambassador of Christ. Go in the name of Jesus. Declare the goodness of God. In Jesus' name, bless you today. Have a good day.